Welcome to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to this special edition of the Federal Executive Forum celebrating 18 years of profiling IT mission programs in the federal government. This is our third annual Profiles in Excellence Chief Information Security Officer Program, which is coming to you from the virtual studios of WTOP and the Federal News Network. I'm Luke McCormack, and during today's show, we will discuss cybersecurity trends and strategies at government agencies and hear from the key leaders making them happen. With me on today's show are Lynette Sherrill, Chief Information Security Officer, Veterans Affairs, Hamant Badwan, Deputy Chief Information Security Officer, Department of Homeland Security, Bill Lemons, Director of Solutions Architect, Fortinet Federal, Eric Weiss, Senior Technology Executive, Quest Software, Public Sector, and Travis Razek, Chief Technology Officer, Public Sector at Rubric. All right, we have a couple of very large agencies with us today and some key partners. We've got an executive order out there that's very clear, a couple of memorandums, a recent memo from the White House saying, make sure we get this done by the end of September. Len, let's start with you. Veterans Affairs, absolutely huge. You've been over there for a while, had a lot of key uh, uh, different uh, responsibilities. Now the CISO, give us a state of the state as to where you all are in implementing these capabilities. Hi, Luke. Um, thanks for that. Well, it um, at VA, we are making good progress, but um, we still have a ways to go. Um, we certainly are challenged by the September deadline um, with the executive order and the exactly 11 mandates with somewhere in the neighborhood of 144 requirements. Um, I just couldn't resist uh, calling out the recent memo. No, that's that's totally fine. Um, but with that, um, we've made good progress. One of the places that, a couple of places we've made really good progress in this on the executive order is endpoint detection and response. Mm -hmm. We have that fully deployed across more than 500,000 endpoints across the enterprise. That tool itself has given us a level of visibility we haven't had in our cybersecurity space before, and it's proving incredibly valuable to our cybersecurity defenses. The other place that VA has made really, really good progress and we're continuing to push hard is multi-factor authentication. We've consistently run above 90%, but we've got about 4% left and we're pushing hard to get to that 100% for multi-factor here in the next six months. And those are some key areas that are really bolstering the defenses at the Department of Veterans Affairs. Very key aspect of uh, just basic, we'll call it hygiene, right? Is that two-factor authentication? Very hard to do. We've had several folks on the show from VA and uh, just the complexity of that organization is massive. Perhaps you'll you'll get into that a little bit as we go along here. Haman, talk about complexity. Uh, a lot of moving parts over there. We know that you all are on a tear a lot of different activities going on with your zero trust, your supply chain, et cetera. Give us a top line, stay the state. How are we doing over there? Good to see you, Hamant. Hey, good afternoon. Nice to see you as well, Luke. Uh, we are doing good. Uh, look, I mean, we see this time and time that cyber attacks on government industry, I mean, they're not slowing down, right? And we know that the adversaries they're willing and able to carry now more than ever, really sophisticated, well-planned, targeted attacks to achieve their goals. So we have to stay on top of that. Uh, we have to stay a step ahead uh, from, uh, you know, from these adversaries. So a couple of things that I want to touch base today, what we have done and continue to move forward with. One is really kind of understanding uh, what are the risks that we are facing, right? So we have implemented a unified cybersecurity maturity model, uh, UCMM is what we are calling it. 
that has been really critical over the last couple of years in understanding what risks our systems and our organization overall from a cybersecurity standpoint is facing. Uh, what it allows us to do is uh, understand the risks that are all the way from the system layer and system level to a component. And as you know, Luke, you know, we, it's, a, it's a pretty large agency. We have several components, several large components as well. Uh, so what it allows us to do is really kind of roll up that maturity understanding of the risk and where the organization is, where a component is from a risk standpoint, all the way to the uh, department if, level. If I, if I may, uh, some may not know what a component is. So if you could just give an example, so they're not thinking <laughs> of the device. Um... Great point. Uh, so component uh, and also uh, some call it agencies within uh, within uh, a larger agency like EHS. So for us, it's CBP, FLETC, FEMA, ICE, TSA, and so on. Uh, mm -hmm. So the, when I talk about components, I talk about those internal organizations that make DHS uh, and the different missions that kind of combines us together. Uh, so when we look at, you know, four years now, FISMA, executive order and other things, right, we are able to measure a part of the cybersecurity element, whether that is through, you know, the quarterly reports or through the executive order reporting, you know, whatever it may be. The challenge that we were facing is how do we combine all these elements together to really get a good understanding of where are we and where we need to go. So the prioritization piece is very key, not only from resources as in people standpoint, but also budget standpoint. So UCMM has really helped us understanding where are the most critical pieces from a cybersecurity risk standpoint, where we lie within the organization, so that if there are X number of dollars and X number of people there are there, they are able to, our CISOs and CIOs are able to then refocus those resources to, you know, get those critical uh, elements resolved. And, you know, day by day, right, those uh, uh, critical risk vulnerabilities, they continue to increase. So this tool has really helped the CISOs and CIOs of the organization in really understanding how do I align the people and the money I have right now uh, to focus on the most critical things. And by the way, also, how do I, look at where I need to go moving forward. What do I need to modernize? So this tool has been really critical. Uh, another tool you mentioned, uh, supply chain risk management. I mean, that that is uh, continues to be a critical effort for the department right now. We have uh, actually implemented a cyber hygiene assessment uh, program uh, over the last year uh, or two. Uh, and again, that's mostly focused on understanding the maturity, the cybersecurity maturity level of vendors that are providing services to DHS uh, right now. And, and this is uh, based on nothing nothing new. We have had these, and Luke, as you may be aware, we've had these Homeland Security Acquisition Regulation Clauses in our contracts now for several years, I think since 2015, actually. Uh, so these clauses require the vendors to be able to have a certain cybersecurity posture if they based on the services they're providing to DHS. So what the cyber hygiene assessment instrument that we have developed, what it allows us to do is really measure the effectiveness of that, measure our you know, 400 plus unique vendors that we have, how is their internal cybersecurity posture as a vendor? How are they protecting the DHS sensitive data? How are they ensuring that they have the right policies and procedures in place? to grow and mature their own cybersecurity posture. So that, that's been a, a tremendous tool. And the goal here is not that, you know, look, we are uh, going to, if you are low in the maturity from the cyber hygiene assessment, that you, know, you can't, you know, no, no business with us or, or something bad will happen, right? It's really about number one, understanding that how, especially for small businesses, 
how we are able to support small businesses in maturing, helping them mature their cybersecurity posture. So it's not just sure. a report, hey, you know, do five things. We will tell you, help you in getting, achieving those goals uh, so you can provide better service, not just for DHS, but to other uh, federal government agencies. Sure. What gets measured gets done. I think it's a great tool and it's really been helpful for you all. Bill, how about at Fortinet? You've been on this journey with the uh, with the community and trying to uh, raise the bar in, uh, in uh, cybersecurity maturity. Tell us what you're seeing out there from a state of the state. Well, first, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Just want to uh, say that we're we're seeing things from a, a couple of different perspectives. One is we we've been trying to push the envelope with regards to a modernization of the underlying infrastructure and preparing for uh, that that merge of security and and networking as a as a, as a combined you know not not necessarily an overthought or a, an afterthought if you will, um, and and trying to support the partner community our, our service provider community in delivering those services to the agencies themselves. Um, in addition to that, once we build that that help build that foundation, uh, then layer on additional security. I mean, we for the past fifteen plus years we've been we've been supporting delivering the controls or, or the platforms that could enable the controls uh, over the environment. Um, but uh, again, trying to trying to bring in additional use cases that that really are in line with with a number of the policy initiatives that are in play today, uh, whether those are you know foundational tick through O type. Uh, uh, initiatives or whether that's uh, paving the way for zero trust, uh, enabling a, a higher degree of integration across vendor landscapes and things of that nature. Uh, and, and truly, uh, especially with the formation and uh, formalization of the Fortinet federal organization ourselves, is, is just be a better partner to the federal community uh, by, by ensuring that uh, we, we not only take the initiative to work directly with our, our agency partners themselves, but also work on our own hygiene, if you will, with regards to you know, a trusted supplier program and ensuring uh, that, um, uh, that the, uh, the, the software and the hardware that we're providing to our agency partners are truly in line with all of the initiatives and all of the policies and all of the certifications that are, that are needed uh, to drive these initiatives forward. And we really do appreciate that. Certainly here, the director of CISA, Jen Easterly, talking about uh, secure by design, a big push by the administration to encourage the uh, suppliers to do that. Eric, speaking of secure by design, et cetera, give us the state of the state of where you all are at Quest in helping bringing this community to a higher security level. So our focus is really on executive order 14028 and making sure that we're doing the best that we can do in order to help our partners and the agencies that we work with um, move towards that kind of zero trust uh, foundations and concepts and implementing those uh, zero trust principles, making sure that we're giving them the capabilities to start managing their identities, doing identity governance, uh, managing identity lifecycle. So that way they can move into securing their, uh, their entire enterprise, making sure not just from an identity standpoint, but also an identity repository standpoint, making sure that Active Directory is secured, that it's managed, that uh, there is resilience in Active Directory. Uh, so disaster recovery, and then making sure that there's uh, an understanding of what's happening in the environment, so having visibility and auditing and reporting on those environments. And what we're finding is with most of our partners and most of the agencies is they're uh, doing a tremendous job in moving forward. Uh, zero trust is one of those interesting concepts where everybody kind of has a different definition of what it is and how to implement it. And uh, irrespective of how you decide to move forward, um, what we're seeing is that each agency is taking those steps in order to start promoting the, the security and the foundational concepts to take those strides to make sure that zero trust 
and the executive orders and the federal mandates are being complied with. Yeah, it uh, took a while for everyone to sort of get a baseline there. Of course, the White House came in behind with a memo crystallizing it. Uh, it's good to see everyone laser focused. Travis, speaking of levers, laser focused about a public sector rubric. Tell us the state of the state and where you all are in helping these agencies, these massive agencies, move on their journey. Uh, a pleasure to be here uh, with you today, Luke, uh, and the great uh, panel. Um, hey, I'm uh, excited to be here at Rubric Federal. We're, um, Rubric is a company, is a high-level intro, uh, focused on kind of taking your uh, historical approach to backups and, and trying to drive the transition to um, cyber recovery. Um, so um, you know, historically, backups have really been focused on disaster recovery, uh, things like that. Uh, but from a cyber attack or recovering from ransomware, destructive malware, um, things like that, insider threats, for example, uh, being able to have trust in your backups when you recover, knowing when a safe point to recover to is, uh, doing threat hunting, uh, deeper analysis on that data, doing it faster, uh, really drives to the broader theme. And um, back in my government days in the DoD space, uh, it was really around building cyber resiliency and in various IT systems and programs. So Rubrik is a, is a key component. Uh, this new norm around what's driving zero trust architecture, uh, this assumed breach mentality. So in that assumed breach mentality, uh, you really have to have a sense of making sure your most critical data and systems are surviving the cyber attack and you can get to a point of uh, trust, uh, in speed of trust in, in your decision-making. So Rubrik um, kind of built with several zero trust principles within the, our, our solution stack. So kind of that secure by design approach. Um, so my soapbox is really trying to drive and influence the government. Uh, when I was a government employee and then uh, in the vendor space to be more focused on uh, cybersecurity proactively than reactively. So it's, it's always much harder to, and more expensive and costly to uh, fix the problem after the fact. So trying to plan and be prepared and, and get things in place, um, you know, will, will ultimately make things uh, easier for everybody. Uh, resiliency, a key part of this. We've had uh, lesson learned after lesson learned. Uh, <laughs> when you're not uh, resilient and not prepared, uh, where you end up in a, in a really tough situation. Uh, let's talk about a specific example. Bill, I'm going to throw it up to you at Fortinet. And uh, why don't you give us an example of where you've been able to uh, to help one of these agencies out or across the interagency and uh, furthering their journey? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of the major strides that we've been supporting most recently uh, has been the uh, on the network modernization front, uh, creating a creating a foundational platform upon which many of these newer newer concepts and newer services can be delivered. Uh, we have a, a number of, of successful uh, both pilots and deployments of our solution in the SD-WAN space. Um, so that creates a, it, it creates a transition from the traditional WAN architecture to one that can be uh, a little bit more flexible with regards to uh, control and management of, of data flow. Uh, and in our, our circumstance, it also provides a foundational component uh, for added security controls in a distributed fashion over that same infrastructure. So again, trying to trying to provide uh, a, a platform for efficiency, right? So so making sure that we not only meet the the current uh, but also the ongoing needs for uh, for WAN utilization and distribution of of data across the entire infrastructure, as well as provide a framework for those security services uh, and advanced solution sets, just uh, such as zero trust um, uh, on, on top of that as well. Really important. I mean, the world of networks just being pliers and wires is gone. It's all gone to software. So key to have these uh, capabilities like SD-WAN 
and uh, micro-segmentation, et cetera, a big piece of trying to secure those very complex environments. All right, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. With remote work becoming more widespread, traditional practices for protecting identity have proven inadequate. The time is right for government agencies to explore zero trust. Zero trust assumes that traffic inside the network is as likely to be as malicious as traffic outside the network. To protect your network and data, you need advanced automated tools that adhere to the principles of zero trust. Quest Public Sector has the end-to-end solutions you need to implement zero trust in your agency. Learn more at questpublicsector.com. Effective enterprise cybersecurity requires a team effort. That's why U.S. government professionals rely on Fortinet Federal's industry-leading technology and engineering expertise for advanced infrastructure and cybersecurity capabilities to defend against malicious actors. With a singular focus on solutions for the federal government and their mission partners, Fortinet Federal can help simplify operations, converge infrastructure, and secure your data. Trusted cybersecurity for government everywhere you need it. See more at FortinetFederal.com. Data security is the new frontier in cybersecurity. For federal agencies, this means implementing a cloud-smart approach to data management without adding complexity. Rubrik can help your agency protect your data from cyber threats by using enhanced analytics and mitigating sensitive data exposure. Rubrik protects your data wherever it lives, across enterprise, cloud, and SaaS, so you can become unstoppable. At Rubrik, our mission is to let you focus on yours. Rubrik, R-U-B-R-I-K. Visit rubric.com slash federal. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We are talking about cybersecurity techniques, strategies, and all of the activity making those things happen. Lynette, we're going to ask you to give us a uh, an example at Veterans Affairs. I know you're doing a lot of stuff over there, a lot of moving parts. We're seeing a bunch of stuff in the news. Give us an example of a, a program that you'd like to highlight that you've been able to use this technology to sort of unlock some of these capabilities. So Luke, um, one of the things that we've been doing, I think it's worth mentioning the journey we've been on since I um, came into this position about 20 months ago now, almost two years. Um, we, we had a vision um, set out by our CIO and myself to move security from a policy-only shop into an operational security shop. Mm-hmm. And that's been a big shift for the organization. Um, really getting our cybersecurity staff skilled up and and looking differently at cybersecurity services as products that we're providing out to our customers and not just a compliance shop checking up checkbox just to make sure that we're getting cyber done, right? Um, So moving to the opera, opera, now I can't say that, so I'm going to pause for a second. (laughs) Moving to operationalize security, has really helped the entire team. The other thing that we've done is we've focused, much like Kamant said, on the critical priorities. We partnered with our operations teams and we identified, no kidding, what are those critical systems that keep VA up and running um, all day long? So it's what everyone would think of, right? Your bedrock systems, your infrastructure, your your gateways, your, your LAN, your WAN. But then what are those systems that keep our businesses running? Those And we were na- able to narrow down that to a hundred critical systems list. And the teams are hyper-focused on those systems, making sure everything that we do relative to the executive order, relative to any of the new mandates coming out, and even with FISMA, hyper-focused on making sure those systems are super clean, 
they are they are logging, they have all of the requirements already in them. And so that's how we've kind of got our teams to really focus and also getting them to really understand security cannot just be that policy shop. We really got to dig in. We've got to be partners with our operations teams and we've got to own security. So what that looks like in VA right now and the teams um, kind of, they make fun of me a little bit, but I'm okay with it. They're like, you're forcing us to get better because I told, I challenged them. I said, when we have an incident in our environment, I need to make sure that we're coming out more secure on the backside of that incident than we did going in. I need you to take basic problem management, continuous, continuous improvement, and make sure that we are rolling those things into cybersecurity. So really taking some of those ITIL operational principles and bringing them into the cybersecurity team and, and getting them to implement those so that we're, we are absolutely more secure every time something happens in our network than we were the day before when it happened. So those are some key, like really important foundational strategies where we are really starting to see a change in, in the teams being excited and, and really digging in when they see stuff going on in our network and partnering with our operations, breaking down cybersecurity silos across the organization and bringing the teams together so that we really understand that we're all in this. We ha all have to come together to really understand what is happening what is happening on our network. Um, you mentioned it earlier, Luke, the scope and complexity of EA is massive. Um, we make up 35% of the entire assets in the federal executive civilian branch. So it's a massive responsibility and I challenge the teams every day. We have to be out there doing the best and we have to have our voice in the conversation. We have to be a part of the working groups at the federal level, partnering across the agencies and in really taking those best practices and bringing them back because what we do here matters. It matters to our veterans and it matters to the rest of the federal federal agencies as well. And we certainly appreciate it. And I think everyone appreciates the uh, the lack of the sort of clipboard mentality and talk about what, you, uh, what you're not doing well and get in there and help them do things well. So hats off to you all for changing that posture. Eric, how about at Quest Software? Uh, can you give us an example of a, a program you'd like to highlight where you've really been able to unlock some capability across uh, an agency? I'd actually like to speak a little bit more in generalities in terms of what we do and where we do it and how we do it. Uh, when you look across the, the landscape, over 95% of Fortune 1000 companies use Active Directory as their source of authentication, authorization, and as an identity repository. And based on the latest statistics that we've seen, over 95 million attacks are, are taken against Active Directory accounts per day. And so just, just to state that again, just to make sure, 95 million attacks per day against Active Directory accounts. And so it's never been more important. In fact, I would say it's, it's critical to make sure that your Active Directory environment is uh, protected, that it's secured, that you're implementing things like role-based access controls, that you're making sure that uh, you have principles of least privilege. So the people who have permissions in Active Directory, they only have the permissions that they need to do what they do, nothing more, nothing less. And then making sure that you have, I, we talked a little bit, Travis, I believe it was, talked uh, also about things like cyber resilience, the ability to recover from something bad that happens in your environment, um, not just from a force level, not just from a domain level, but from an object and an attribute level, and then reducing your, your threat services. And so we're at over 90% of agencies in the federal landscape, whether it's in the civilian area, whether it's in the Department of Defense, whether it's in the IC. And so our software is out there helping these agencies um, implement these policies with respect to role-based access controls, um, empowering things like shadow IT, which everybody has, whether they, they know it or not, whether they like it or not, 
making sure that those people, again, they're doing those things for a reason, but making sure that they can't do anything more than what they're doing and they can't have any negative impacts. And then making sure that um, whether it's through malicious intent or it's an honest mistake, that uh, the impact of those mistakes is minimized and then um, easily rectified and fixed so that you can continue uh, moving in the direction that you need to be and empowering our agencies to, to really focus on the mission rather than focusing on IT issues. Yeah, you know, role-based security and uh, attacks on the Active Directory, an age-old issue that keeps getting more and more sophisticated as we continue to shore things up. So we really appreciate all the work being done there. A, uh, a massive vulnerability across our ecosystem. Hamant, let's talk about a specific example. You top-lined a lot of things that you're working on there. How about one program that you'd like to highlight that's really been a success for you all as you've moved on your journey? Sure, though. thank you for that question. Um, I would actually highlight the Hack DHS program. I think uh, uh, you have probably heard in news, other media, uh, we have uh, implemented this program actually started in 2021. And it's a, it's a bug bounty program that challenges vetted researchers to identify vulnerabilities within our systems before the bad guys do. And uh, we've had some great amount of successes with this program over the over the last couple of years. And it really pushes kind of, if you see something, say something out to the department's you know, IT environment. Uh, so far, I think it's safe to say we have assessed actually over 20 systems uh, and uh, have used this program for department-wide hunts uh, for some critical vulnerabilities like Log4j and such uh, that have been out. Uh, it has been, extremely successful for us because ultimately come down to what it comes down to Luke is, you know, there's only so much kind of information that we can gather from scans or the regular processes we have right now. Uh, getting these vetted researchers, these skilled, uh, you know, ethical hackers across the world, right? That really kind of puts another you know, tool in our in our tool belt to help secure uh, the the information. So there are a couple of vulnerabilities actually uh, that uh, I would like to talk about that we discovered, and uh, you know, just I'll keep it at a high level, but just to give you an understanding of what these uh, researchers were able to discover. So first one was actually that uh, a vulnerability was found that allowed an attacker to change the target email address and content of a message within a system which could potentially allow the attacker to send an email from a .gov address to anyone they wanted to. Uh, and they could include, include the link and, you know, the .gov email address will bypass a lot of the security checks that are in place uh, because it's a very trusted top level domain. Uh, so this could have been used for phishing attempts for sure for DHS and other federal agencies and, and, and users. So this was really uh, critical for us to identify this uh, before it was uh, exploited and we were able to remediate this immediately uh, to ensure that this uh, you know, didn't become a, a major issue. Second was, uh, which was interesting, it was a vulnerability that we found that allowed a user to sign up for an account on a system and then actually then able to access documents that they shouldn't have access to. We talk about the zero trust elements. Uh, some of the other folks mentioned that as well. This is where it's so critical. Uh, but this was a critical vulnerability that was discovered. So the wrong person can get access to wrong documents and this was e easily exploitable. So again, uh, we discovered this and immediately remediated that vulnerability. I mean, those are the just two high level example. I mean, we have mm -hmm. discovered a lot of challenges and there's no such thing as, you know, vulnerabilities will always continue to exist. I think it comes down to how can you get, uh, how can you know about those 
before it gets exploited by the bad guys, right? So you need to get in front of it as soon as possible, as quickly as possible. The HackHS program really allowed us to do that. And we are continuing to expand on that, actually to include even systems with AI um, next year. So very excited about that. Fantastic. And hats off to you all for running that program. Hats off to the uh, ethical hacker community for participating in the program and keeping those environments uh, much more secure. So thank you for that. Travis, how about at Rubrik? You talked sure. about a lot of interesting things there. Give us an example of where you've been able to implement that capability and save an agency's bacon, perhaps. <laughs> sure. Uh, but yeah, just quick uh, reaction to uh, Lynette and Hamant's comments. Um, you know, driving the proactive part of cybersecurity, um, you know, I, I think I'm sure they can attest to as well. But in, in my government days, sometimes um, being a technologist, but some of the biggest challenges are the non-technical challenges. So like what the VA is trying to do uh, culturally and, and shift the mindset um, for continuous improvement, uh, breaking down silos and moving beyond compliance. I mean, that was that was probably my top three things every day in my government days trying to do. So the fact they're they're having success at huge scale is a taxpayer makes me very happy. <laughs> uh, and I appreciate the uh, the amount of work and effort that takes. Um, and then on the bug bounty side, I used to run uh, the just a red team and uh, being proactive and trying to find vulnerabilities before. Um, I also used to uh, help stand up the uh, early days of flyaway incident response teams in the department. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, trying to find out uh, after the fact from an adversary where the problem is, is, is absolutely terrible. So uh, many sleepless nights uh, doing incident response work. So trying to do that uh, proactively at scale uh, is definitely uh, a much better way to go. So kudos uh, for, for shifting some of that focus. Uh, beyond, you know, compliance and trying to do things, uh, uh, you know, working smarter, not harder. So, um, yeah, for, from our perspective, you know, Rubrik is gaining tremendous traction um, uh, in the commercial space. Uh, our, um, you know, shift in focus and capabilities is really helping organizations recover from ransomware and survive attacks and not have to pay the ransom. Um, in the government space, ransomware um, isn't a huge concern. It, it does happen here and there. Uh, but from a... Um, uh, you know, from a cyber attack perspective, it, it's really just the motive of the threat actor. So they could easily switch uh, ransomware to destructive malware. So kind of what happened a few years ago with NotPetya, uh, it, it uh, leaked out of Ukraine, it brought down Merck, uh, it brought down um, FedEx and other other commercial companies. So, you know, from a, you know, a broader cyber type of, or broader attack in general, the cyber component is definitely critical to um, other military operations. And, and in that case, they're not going to be ransomware where you pay to get uh, the system back uh, back online or uh, use something like a rubric to recover. It's going to be destructive to bring down and impact the mission uh, across the board of, uh, of our U.S. military and critical infrastructure within DHS and CISA. So uh, for what rubric, you know, from saving bacon perspective is really focused on helping organizations on their worst day, worst case scenarios, being able to survive that, reconstitute their environments, support their customers, their critical systems uh, as quickly as possible, and then have trust that when they do that, um, they didn't just re, uh, you know, didn't just bring back in the adversary, the malware, and 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 have to do the process over again. And then obviously, uh, you know, your customers, your constituents lose trust in the system and the processes. So um, that's that's where Rubrik is really focused is um, trying to minimize uh, and, and make your worst case scenarios um, uh, less impactful and and build confidence and maintain confidence in your operations. Absolutely, and we certainly do appreciate that. Going to move over to priorities, Bill. Top priority for Fortinet this year, and what's a demand signal? What are you all focusing on in support of this community? I think that falls into two categories. Uh, one, again, is is uh, is focusing internally on our organization. 
uh, and making sure that we are the best possible partner for our agencies, um, you know, making sure that we keep on top of uh, compliance and supply chain management and and really really taking the, the heart of the Fortinet, uh, Fortinet Incorporated uh, technology stack and making it truly um, comprehensive and, and accessible, uh, manageable, uh, and, and appropriate for federal uh, agency consumption. That, that's, that's one of our primary goals, especially for this year. Um, and, and then also in that same vein to take those products, work with our partner, um, partner delivery system, right? So we, we uh, work primarily in an environment where we work through partners to deliver product to uh, agencies, you know, making sure that we have a solid relationship with those partners, uh, interact with those agencies di uh, as directly as we possibly can uh, to ensure that we meet those goals with regards to the modernization efforts that they're putting forth. Um, that, that, that modernization foundation, right? That platform for growth, that platform for services over time uh, is something that we're, we're truly focused on uh, with the right building blocks in place, uh, that, that evolution of the network. Um, I, I think one of, the, one of the comments that's come out in, in many different uh, webinars and, and talks that I've heard uh, over the past year has, has been the fact that, that zero trust is a journey, not necessarily a destination. Um, and it's, it's in, it's taking all of those tenants uh, and institutionalizing those, making sure that that, that that constant vigilance to collect information, to cull through that information, learn from that information, and continually improve the environment that is incredibly critical to the ability to stay ahead of the um, adversarial community. Uh, so instituting those types of properties, making sure that the platforms themselves can be flexible, can be integrated, can be programmable, uh, those, are, those are really the initiatives that are driving our, our interest to be much more focused on that relationship and, and moving all those initiatives forward. And we certainly do appreciate that. Hamant, a lot of priorities over there. Give us your top priority. What are you all going to focus on this year that's sort of at the top of the job jar for you? No, thank you. And uh, as I think through that question, you know, I, I have to mention AI and operation. Uh, opera operationalizing the use of AI. Uh, that's the critical element. Look, AI is here to stay. Uh, some people love it, some people hate it, you know, whatever it is, but it is here. And as the department, DHS, responsible for the cybersecurity of the federal civilian executive branch agencies and our nation's critical infrastructure, we really have a special responsibility to lead the rest of the government when it comes to our own cybersecurity practices. AI is a big piece of that. We are going to be focused on operationalizing the use of AI and transforming and modernizing the way we operate as a department. Uh, to that, we'll be developing and publishing, you know, principal governance to enable effective, secure, and responsible use of AI technologies in the delivery of services to the people that we serve. Uh, we have actually implemented an AI task force uh, uh, that is driving very specific applications of AI to advance our mission. Uh, right now. And then, and then obviously, uh, there are distinct cybersecurity challenges that comes with AI compared to traditional systems, uh, whether that is data privacy or, you know, data security, that is a major concern because of the heavy reliance of data in the AI models that we see. Uh, there's a risk of data manipulation that uh, we have seen uh, where uh, data can be manipulated uh, and, and the AI systems are deceived. Uh, through you know multiple different efforts, there's also AI being used for social engineering, uh, for phishing. That's uh, that's a that's a pretty 
uh, it's it's known now. We are seeing that in in media quite a bit now. That uh, that is that the bad guys they will use whatever tools they have and take advantage of that, uh, including including AI to conduct uh, really sophisticated phishing uh, campaigns. Uh, so, so I think one of the things that we are doing is uh, we want to make sure we use the Hack DHS program that I mentioned uh, mm -hmm. to also test these systems, especially when it comes to the AI models within some of the systems that we're developing uh, and ensure that, you know, there are cases where attackers may intentionally manipulate the input to deceive the output from the AI model. How can we test that successfully before we implement a capability like this uh, for the users? Right. And the second part is obviously we saw NIST uh, has published the AI risk management framework. Uh, so we are working on uh, getting that incorporated into our enterprise information security and risk management practices uh, right now. Uh, along with, you know, all of this combined is, is part of our DHS uh, AI cybersecurity strategy uh, that we have really closely worked with internal you know, CIOs and CISOs within the, within the department to work on. So very excited about that. There is going to be a lot of uh, great things coming from AI front from us. Uh, AI, a very important technology for defending your environment and certainly a powerful technology using uh, against you to attack your environment. So appreciate all the work that's going on there. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. With remote work becoming more widespread, traditional practices for protecting identity have proven inadequate. The time is right for government agencies to explore zero trust. Zero trust assumes that traffic inside the network is as likely to be as malicious as traffic outside the network. To protect your network and data, you need advanced automated tools that adhere to the principles of zero trust. Quest Public Sector has the end-to-end -end solutions you need to implement zero trust in your agency. Learn more at questpublicsector.com. Effective enterprise cybersecurity requires a team effort. That's why U.S. government professionals rely on Fortinet Federal's industry-leading technology and engineering expertise for advanced infrastructure and cybersecurity capabilities to defend against malicious actors. With a singular focus on solutions for the federal government and their mission partners, Fortinet Federal can help simplify operations, converge infrastructure, and secure your data. Trusted cybersecurity for government everywhere you need it. See more at FortinetFederal.com. Data security is the new frontier in cybersecurity. For federal agencies, this means implementing a cloud-smart approach to data management without adding complexity. Rubrik can help your agency protect your data from cyber threats by using enhanced analytics and mitigating sensitive data exposure. Rubrik protects your data wherever it lives, across enterprise, cloud, and SaaS, so you can become unstoppable. At Rubrik, our mission is to let you focus on yours. Rubrik, R-U-B-R-I-K. Visit rubric.com slash federal. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We are talking about cybersecurity trends and strategies, specifically talking about priorities. Eric, top priority for you all as you're focused on helping this community become rock solid. I kind of feel like it's a little bit uh, like Groundhog Day for me because I keep saying the same thing and keep repeating myself. But really, our our main focus and our priority is it's zero trust and it's zero trust compliance and it's helping our partners and the agencies move. And we've already heard that zero trust is a journey. I'm going to say it, uh, move forward with their zero trust processes. Um, mm -hmm. it, zero trust, it, it's it's kind of that that dream. It's we're never really going to fully achieve something because the landscape is always going to change and the threats are always going to change. But helping our partners start to implement those foundational principles, and, you know, listed across those seven pillars of zero trust, 
and uh, work with them to, to get those foundational principles implemented, to get them pushed out, to really kind of focus on identity management, identity governance, identity life cycles, automations, and then moving forward again into Active Directory with protections, with threat reduction, uh, threat uh, landscape reduction, uh, resilience in terms of recoverability, and then um, visibility into what's happening and making sure that not only are you aware that something is happening, but what it was that happened, who it was that did it, when it was they did it, where it was they did it from. And I, I would love to get that last W in there, the why they did it. We're still kind of struggling with that one a little bit. But um, that's really where our focus is, is we want to make sure that all of our partners, all of the agencies are implementing the process and processes and procedures in order to move closer to uh, the final concept of what Zero Trust is supposed to be. That why is a big deal, and we appreciate you uh, thinking about that and, and not letting that one go. Lynette, how about at Veterans Affairs? Top priority for you all this year as you're going on this huge journey you're on. Well, um, it's clearly around zero trust. Um, we set out last year and created our strategy um, framed in zero trust, right? We're to lay the foundation and letting the teams know that in everything that we do, we need to ensure that they have a zero trust first mindset. Um, and, and that means everything that we've all talked about here, ensuring we know who's on our network, ensuring devices on our network are healthy and just that entire list. So the priority of that over this next year is I really have two, and I know it's terrible to have two priorities, but one is um, just keeping the teams super focused on that continuous improvement, but also really bringing in cyber talent and, and building a recruitment pool of cyber talent directly into the Department of Veterans Affairs. And I know we're all challenged with that across industry and federal government. And, um, but I think we all have to focus. For me, I really wanna focus on transitioning service members. Um, transitioning service members have a big foundation in cyber, the cyber talent that's coming out of the service and to bring them into directly into VA and train and then launch them into a career, I think is a great one. It meets the mission of VA and it also helps build a talent pool for industry as well as um, the federal government. If they choose to stay in government, great. If And that's a win for us, but it's also a win if we can launch transitioning service members directly into industry to build the entire cyber talent pool for the entire country. Because I think that is, is super necessary as we, as people mentioned um, around, you know, our, our infrastructure, our critical infrastructure is not just made up of the federal government. All of our industry partners help make up that critical infrastructure that we have to protect. And the adversary is constantly changing and constantly moving as Eric and several people have mentioned on this call. So I think it's super important that we focus in that space. What a win-win-win there. I love that story. And that's such a key element to, uh, to uh, you know, the entire ecosystem. I appreciate that. Travis, number one priority for Rubric. So, uh, yeah, uh, sounds like a great program and, uh, you know, uh, obviously uh, critically important across the board. So um, uh, super excited to hear uh, what, what Lynette's putting in place at the VA. Um, yeah, I think uh, tackling that question, two two different angles. Uh, Rubrics really focused on, obviously, uh, you know, we have a pretty robust uh, program and compliance, uh, building the, uh, our products to be secure. Uh, focus areas on that front are really just uh, bringing new things to market uh, to meet the demand. Uh, you know, cloud, FedRAMP, other certifications, 
compatibility with protecting SaaS applications. Um, so one um, capability we're bringing to market now is around uh, protecting three, M365. Um, and then the other aspect, uh, just touching on zero trust architecture, uh, one of my soapboxes lately, um, you know, from, uh, you know, my, uh, you know, simulating or um, uh, responding to threat actors, you know, for zero trust architecture to work in a large environment, it really um, requires a, a lot of trust relationships, flattened networks. So kind of uh, the staggering metric that Eric mentioned earlier, around 95 million attacks attempted a day. <laughs> um, it is is eye opening, and it should be a really big wake up call that uh, moving to the zero trust architecture, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And from a cyber threat perspective, it, it's going to make their job easier um, if and when they are successful. So, um, uh, uh, you know, this, the um, cybersecurity folks have to be right 100% of the time. The threat actors just have to get lucky once. And in the environments where, um, it's a flatter network. You're you're allowing these trust relationships and and uh, you know authenticated across the board. Um, one compromise it could be in the supply chain, could be a whole host of attack vectors, uh, but it, it could you know uh, uh, cause a greater problem. So um, you know I think from Rubik's perspective is really around helping protect the data. So identities and data are probably the two biggest things threat actors are after, mm -hmm. and um, just trying to help provide visibility of the data, who's on the network, and um, you know, making sure that you have checks and balances or safeguards to know when um, uh, maybe a certain system or application has been compromised and you know, not just singly trusting the data. So uh, we see threat actors uh, in the wild today, they compromise the system, they disable the security software uh, within the SOC or other environments, it looks like it's working, uh, but they're just spoofing the data. So you need to have other things to uh, complement or validate your your uh, your security mechanism. So i.e. having network visibility validates the endpoint data. Um, having visibility around your data access or immutability around the access helps ensure that your other mechanisms are safe. So um, got it. Know. And we certainly do appreciate the laser focus. We're going to have to wrap it up. And we always like to wrap it up with uh, the big question. Paint a picture of the future. Let's fast forward two to three years. Bill, I'm going to start with you at Fortinet. What's it look like? What's the demand signal out there? What's sort of coming out of the Petri dish that you all are working on that you see sort of fully realized or the beginnings of an implementation two to three years from now? What's it look like? Yeah, so so I think uh, I think it's, it's going to take a little bit of each one of the buckets that we've talked about uh, mm -hmm. and bring all that together because uh, it's really finding, finding the right balance uh, across all of those uh, areas of focus as well as uh, areas of uh, control. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, the data is the asset that we're trying to protect. The identity is incredibly important to have. You know, a clear and concise single single point of uh, truth, if you will, with regards to that. Um, but those are you know just a, a few of the pillars that we have to be uh, you know, cognizant of as we make zero trust decisions, right? And and control and the ability to control needs to be a, a a broader and more distributed function as a whole. So so I think whether it's whether it's across the uh, private infrastructure that you have, um, uh, across the data infrastructure, uh, data center infrastructure, infrastructure you have, or the cloud infrastructure you have, um, the, the the point is going to be that that is going to be an integrated and a continual kind of ebb and flow um, with regards to the percentages of each one of those uh, aspects that you have in the network. Uh, and, and successful organizations will have the ability to 
programmatically manage that ebb and flow of resources and uh, decision-making and control capabilities uh, over each one of those areas. Um, and, and we do that through ensuring that there's a high degree of integration across uh, vendor, the vendor community and the plat uh, products and, and platforms that are put in place uh, associated with that. Some of that cybersecurity mesh uh, architecture that, that uh, got coined a little while ago. Um, you know, having that, that, that fabric approach to, uh, to truly addressing the, the, the challenge of zero trust as a whole. Uh, and, and truly in that, in the tenant that, that, that Lynette brought up earlier, that, that, that ability to uh, continually improve, continually monitor, um, uh, and bring in that additional talent to help support that environment as a whole. Um, in, in the next three to five years, I think we'll see those things kind of come together uh, and the ability to, to, to try and uh, keep pace uh, and potentially even outpace uh, the uh, threat landscape. Absolutely be able to pull the gears and turn the knob, so to speak. Absolutely. Eric, how about at Quest Public Sector, two to three years from now, what's it going to look like? So interestingly, I I really don't see the overall landscape changing significantly in the next two to three years. Uh, the, the threats are still going to be there. Threats are always evolving. And as agencies and enterprises continue to implement, um, the again, the zero trust principles, their enterprises are going to become more and more secure from a particular standpoint. But at the end of the day, the real vulnerability in all of these environments, it isn't really the technology that is creating the vulnerabilities, it's the people. And we're seeing more and more of a focus from threat actors on individuals and people to take advantage of their weaknesses and their vulnerabilities to get into the environments. And so I can't, I can't stress enough how important it is to make sure that we have these protective mechanisms in place in the environments to detect those indicators of compromise and then be able to mitigate and minimize the impact of those compromises in those environments, and then find ways to make sure that as we've uh, minimized their impacts, we slow them down, we find a way to kick them out, and then we we learn from how they got in in the first place, and then we we evolve as uh, cybersecurity experts and uh, find new ways to to take the foundations that we've already implemented in environments and uh, you know change them so that we're able to protect and prevent those incursions going forward. But uh, from a big, a kind of a big picture point of view, the threats are always going to be there. Um, new, new technologies that are coming out, things like AI with ChatGPT, with Bard, uh, those things are going to normalize, and we're going to get more and more used to them. So it's it's more important than ever that we uh, we move from not just protecting our boundaries, but also protecting inside uh, the city limits and making sure that we put up those barriers in order for, to prevent the threat actors from getting to uh, their ultimate destination, which is going to be those identities, those applications, that data. Really dip into the why aspect as well. So we really appreciate it. Travis, two to three years from now, uh, if we have a ransomware in our uh, government ecosystem, and we do, and we will, mm -hmm. what are we going to do? Not break a sweat because we've been implemented rubric? Uh, that would be my uh, my dream come true, yes. <laughs> um, but no, um, all joking aside, yeah, great points by uh, Bill and Eric. So, you know, I think the threat actors, I mean, they're, they're, they don't have constraints, right? So they're constantly innovating, uh, whether it be they're very intelligent or lazy, uh, they're very efficient in what they do. Um, there's different ways to get at an organization uh, or their targets. So I, I think what we're going to see is some of these initiatives that uh, DHS is trying to push uh, with some of the uh, you know, executive orders, um, secure by design. I think we'll start seeing some of those proactive mentalities and, and uh, approaches start having some effect. I think some of the organizations that are focused on process improvement, um, cyber recruitment, 
focusing more on being secure than just being compliant. I, I think we'll probably start seeing those organizations uh, not make the news, start having uh, better retention, having impact. Um, and the organizations that aren't kind of in that mindset are probably going to make the headlines uh, in a bad way. And I think uh, at some point we'll kind of be on the cusp of, um, you know, we'll see the ones that are kind of leading by example and actually having some positive results and the ones that are um, struggling to adapt and evolve uh, for various various reasons and, you know, uh, non-technical problems, um, most likely. Uh, we'll start seeing some of those root cause problems start to get, uh, you know, uh, addressed, hopefully. So, so I, I think it'll get a little bit worse before it starts getting better, but I, I am a little more optimistic today than I, <laughs> I have been in the last 20 years. Absolutely. And we really do appreciate it. Hamant, two to three years from now, you've got AI introduced, certainly. Uh, you've got a benchmark out there that you've measured things. Where do you think you all will be and what will your focus be two to three years from now? I think the focus uh, is going to continue to obviously, you know, do everything we can to keep the bad guys out and mature the overall cybersecurity posture. Uh, we talked about, you know, I mentioned the unified cybersecurity maturity model, the hack DHS program, the supply chain assessments uh, for the vendor uh, evaluations there. Uh, and, you know, one thing I do want to add uh, is going to be the workforce. It's cybersecurity in the workforce and the training piece is really critical. Uh, we have heard, and you may have heard CIO Heisen talk about the IT Academy. Uh, that we are trying to establish uh, for mm -hmm. the entire enterprise within DHS. It's it's really critical for us to not only you know get the right folks in and and hire the right folks, but also make sure that we are providing them the essential training that they need to grow within that environment. A lot of times, and this is all proven, we have seen where uh, you know we have candidates coming into federal government. You know, they will stay for just a short amount, right? One year, two year, and then they go to private sector. Now, I get it. You know, part of that is actually the money piece. But another part is actually they want to make sure that, you know, they are growing and they're learning and they mm -hmm. are doing things that is advancing their own careers as well. So IT Academy is going to be a critical piece in kind of unifying all the different training elements uh, for all of our components uh, within DHS and uh, to be able to hire uh, you know, train to be able to train the new hires that we bring in for IT uh, from IT standpoint, and then also identify and bridge gaps in trainings. AI is a great example of that. It's fairly new, right? What type of trainings that you know? There's a training element from awareness standpoint, use of generative AI and those type of technologies like ChatGPT. But then there is another element of training for development and securing the AI technologies that is being used. So those are some of the gaps areas that we will identify within as part of the IT Academy. And then lastly, one of the uh, things we'll be focused on with the IT Academy is going to be the role-based trainings. So, uh, so NICE has laid out a great foundation there for different cybersecurity roles uh, and IT roles. So our goal will be uh, to take a uh, you know, few of those uh, and we have already done that last year. We've identified four roles you know, such as ISSMs, ISSOs, right? Your system owners, authorizing officials, and expand on those roles to be able to provide very specific training uh, for those roles for DHS. So that's going to allow if, you know, the system owners and system teams and folks are working on cyber, you know, ensuring that a system is secure. If they are trained and they understand their responsibilities and what they need to do, that goes a long way uh, in building that partnership with the cybersecurity side of things, with the CISO, Deputy CISO, and, and the cybersecurity folks on the team. 
So and overall, we, IT Academy is going to be a big focus. And we really do appreciate the focus on the personnel, the, the people, the horsepower behind all this. Uh, Lynette, you talked about the same thing, and we uh, just uh, warms my heart to hear that uh, program about uh, bringing the veterans into the environment here. Two to three years from now, what, what are you expecting to see? You have a lot on the plate, a lot of moving parts there. What are you going to be focusing on two to three years from now? So I think that um, one of the great things that we have at this moment in technology and in cybersecurity is with the new innovations that have come out and even the new flexibilities that the executive order gives us around the FIDO2 authenticators, I think we have an opportunity now more than ever. In two to three years, we get through this zero trust, this initial implementation and continue on that journey, but we really have the opportunity for cyber security become a business enabler. And by that, I mean, as I look across my clinical environment, um, PIV cards tend to hinder the clinical environment in a way that really makes our clinical staff dislike them in every way. But with the, the FIDO2 authenticator flexibilities that we've been given, there's opportunity here to really change the way that the clinician can interact and authenticate to devices with the new technologies that are out there. And I think we'll start to see that shift. It's gonna take us a couple of years to get there, but I think it's super exciting that technology, people, and everything is coming together right now that really allows cybersecurity to finally be that business enabler that we've sort of always really talked about and didn't really have the seamless integrated technology that would allow us to be that. And I think now it's here and I think we have a huge opportunity to grasp that and really, um, really push into and give the end user experience, especially in the federal space, just a, a new experience that is secure and good all at the same time. Amen. And so well said, and we really do appreciate it. What a fantastic way to wrap up the show. I'd like to thank today's guests for taking the time out of their busy schedules to join us on this program, not only today, but every day, fighting the good fight. I'd like to thank all of our sponsors for supporting us on this show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make this program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank the listening audience out there that are tuning in every month. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the Federal Executive Forum series on Federal News Network. This show was produced by Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.